0: This morning we make a little bit of a change. We're in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 on this Christmas Sunday. And we begin reading in verse 21. It says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him according to the custom of the law. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, of the daughter of of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from which she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to the house of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favor of God who was upon him amen all right if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2 Luke chapter 2 as a child of the 80s the mall was a big deal Uh, my home mall, the mall of my youth, was the Tyrone Square Mall. And I have lots of memories of the Tyrone Square Mall. Tyrone Square Mall had a Farrell's ice cream shop. Anyone ever been to a Farrell's ice cream shop? Uh, When I was in fifth grade, if you got perfect spelling tests for the entire nine weeks, Mrs. Anderson would take you to Farrell's ice cream shop. From what I hear, they had a great time. (laughs) A <laughs> fair uh, Tyrone Square Mall is the first place I ever drove When I got my driver's license Went straight home and I said I'm going to the mall I think I turned around once I got to the parking lot But that's where I went uh, Because I was a child of the 80's It's the first place I ever used my own credit card Was at Tyrone Square Mall I, I remember that there was a pizza hut Across the street from the mall That's where our youth group hung out all of the time But when I went back to visit St. Pete a couple years ago and we went to the Tyrone Square Mall, the memory that struck me the most was walking into the Sears store with my family as a kid and we bought our first family nativity set. (laughs) And I remember getting all of those pieces out and seeing all the sheep and the wise men and the, and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the, and the stable and, and all of those pieces there. And I just remember, I just was filled with wonder about uh, that piece. And I remember every year, we would want to put those pieces out. And I remember our kids growing up, even though they were different nativity sets, that was always the big deal, who was going to put which piece out and who was in charge uh, of putting the pieces out. Now, I know... That we like to argue about the nativity scene sometimes about which figures are supposed to be there, whether the wise men really ever came there, whether that was whether Jesus was born in that kind of a lean-to, whether he was born in a cave, and and all those kinds of things. I always wonder what happened to the rest of the sheep. All of these wise, all of these shepherds come and like three sheep come uh, into the manger. Some place out there, there are thousands of sheep that are wandering uh, around at this time. Uh, but the whole point here is that this is a symbol, it is a compression of all of the stories that we have around the birth of Jesus, all of the signs and all of the wonders that we have around the birth of Jesus that just kind of said, this is a really big deal and we're designed to encourage Mary and Joseph. And so you have the wise men. You have sometimes the the angels. The angel may have been cut off in this picture, but but sometimes there's an angel at the top uh, of the uh, the manger. And you have the shepherds and you have the sheep and you have the wonder of this location and the baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and laid there just like the angels had told them. And each one of those individuals that are there in this compressed story is to communicate a truth that God was communicating each one of these characters is there uh, each one of these characters is there to encourage Mary and Joseph in this moment each one of them is there to prepare them for what is to happen next but this morning i want us to pay attention to two figures that are never in the nativity scene and there's good reason for that because they actually never made it to the manger But in the same way that the shepherds and the wise men and the angels were so critical in this part of the story, so these two are just as important to Mary and Joseph. And buried inside of the story of these two is our good news this morning. The good news this morning is that God loves to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He loves to use the ordinary, the plain, the simple to do incredibly amazing, remarkable things. We we, we see that in the nativity scenes, but we also are going to see this in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 21 where we have the story of Simeon and Anna. These are my two favorite overlooked characters inside of the Christmas story, Simeon and Anna. Now, it's interesting when we take a look at Simeon and Anna that they are located, this story is located inside of the temple. It's the same scene, the same setting that we looked at two weeks ago in John chapter 2. Remember, Jesus walks into the temple, and you remember he, he kind of creates a scene there, and he forms the whip, and he starts flipping over tables, and he drives out these salesmen uh, out of that place. But it's the same scene that he arrives to in that place. And, and what that scene is, it is a sacred place. It, it is the temple. It's an incredibly busy place, regardless of the time of year, regardless of the season. It is full of hustle and bustle, and as Jesus pointed out, it's a mess as well. It's a chaotic place. It's a broken place. It is a messed up place, but the story that we're going to look at this morning happens right there in that place, and it is the place that we find Simeon and Anna in those same temple courts, that Jesus returns to as he begins his ministry all of those years later. But I want you to pay attention to Simeon and Anna. Because what I want you to see as we take a look at Simeon and Anna, these two quiet folks, is that God saw their quiet devotion. God saw their quiet devotion. Now these two would be very easy to overlook. And in fact, I think in the busyness of those temple courts, I think that people passed Simeon and I think they passed Anna every day without even paying attention to them. Sometimes they may have even kind of brushed them aside as they were trying to get to something more important. And these two people that just used to kind of just spend time in the temple courts, that sometimes maybe it even felt like they were in the way of the far more important thing and far more important people. Their routines were simple. Their routines were quiet. Nobody looked at Simeon and Anna and thought, now there are people who are one day going to be in Scripture. They were just there. Chronologically, well, they would have been vibrant members of our rooted senior adult ministry here at the life of our church. They they, they had some experience to them. They had no business success. They had no political influence. And in a time and place when family and large family was so significant, the scripture goes out of the way to talk about how simple Anna's family life is. She was married for a very short time, no evidence of children, and she was a widow for an extremely long, time easy to overlook but i want you to see that god noticed the quietness of their devotion i want you to see in these passages of scripture how god describes both simeon and anna he describes simeon as being righteous righteous That word means to be right before God. There is not a long list of people in Scripture that God says this person was righteous. He says Simeon was devout, he says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. We don't use that word consolation very much. But what it's saying is he is waiting for the rescue, the healing, the restoration, the making right of his people. He has for so long seen the spiritual, the geographic, the political, the military terms of Israel be so defeated for so long and he just says, when will this be fixed? And then the passage of scripture tells us that he was full of, Of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. The the very presence of God. Was on his life. And you could tell. That that was true in his life. God saw that he was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting for the healing. The rescue of Israel. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. Anna who is described. In terms of the short marriage. And the very long widowhood. That she has. But it says that she worshipped in the temple night and day with prayer and fasting. She had made the devotion of her life to be an act of worship so she could get as close as she possibly could to the things of God and that is where she anchored her life and it makes a difference. In fact, they pursued God with their whole heart and with their whole soul, likely cutting against the grain of all the people around them. In fact, I think it's quite possible that people who are declared by God to be righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel and full of the Holy Spirit, and people who spend their entire time fasting and in prayer and their entire life built around the temple, I think sometimes... Maybe even some of the people who were close to him could every once in a while roll their eyes at them. Just, well, you know, old Sim, he's just always thinking about the same things. You know, old Anna, she doesn't do anything other than just go to the temple every day. You know, her diet is a little peculiar. She doesn't like to eat a whole lot. And you could just kind of look at her and say, boy, why does she take all of these things so Seriously? But I want you to notice that God saw the quiet devotion of their lives and that God was pleased by what he saw. I also want you to see that it seems pretty apparent that they did this for the long haul. And the long haul matters. Has anybody ever been invited to a big 11th wedding anniversary celebration? Anyone? Anyone? 11's not really, if anyone's here celebrating 11 years, congratulations. Um, also, you got a ways to go. Uh <laughs> I say that in part because I couldn't wait for Susan and I to be married 10 years. Uh, Because I felt like as a pastor, people were like, this guy's a kid. I mean, he's barely done anything. In fact, I still worry about that. And it's the reason why I I, I color my beard gray uh, on a regular basis. Because I I want you to know that I have experience and I'm not nearly as young as I I, I look. uh, So I I, I worry about that. But the long haul matters. And so we, we don't make a big deal about someone making it to six years or someone making it to 11 years. But 25 years, man, you ought to go on a trip. That's a big deal. Somebody gets to 50 years. Man, people ought to come from out of town. I mean, that's a really big deal. I've had the privilege as pastor of being around several couples that have made it to 65 years. I think the best that I've ever been around was 70 years. Man. Now, that is worth an article in the newspaper. That is worth really celebrating because not that their marriage has been perfect, but it has endured the long haul. Every once in a while on Friday mornings, Adolf Bedsall used to come and knock on my door at the church in Panama City. And he'd say, Pastor, can I pray for you today? Well, sure, Brother Adolph, come on in. Well, I I don't mind anyone coming to pray for me. But Adolf Bedsall lived across the street from the church. And he'd been in ministry for more than 65 years, including sitting in the very seat that I was sitting in at that time as pastor of that church. And so I value the prayers of anybody. But when a man comes in who has served God faithfully for 65 years and says, can I pray for you? Oh, I'm going to line up with that. Man who has served for the long haul. Simeon and Anna had great devotion in their life. Even if a lot of people didn't notice it in the particulars of day to day, I do think when people looked back and they took a step away, I think there was an immense amount of influence that came from long haul quiet devotion. We need those people in our lives. I'm grateful that we have people like that in the life of this church today that we can look across and maybe even across this service and say, well, I know that that person has been faithfully teaching. That person has been faithfully attending. That person has been faithfully singing in the choir. That person has been faithfully leading. That person has been faithfully living out their faith. Not for months, not just for years, but for decades. For decades. We need those kinds of people. And by the way, we need the next generation to be ready to take a step in those places as well. And I would tell you that the best time to start a long haul, quiet devotion that leads to significant impact, the best time to do that is Right now. Right now. I I don't know where it's been, and I I don't know, sometimes you may be bumped around a little bit, and, and sometimes you get a little bit off track. But right now, today, is a great day for you to say, God, I can't offer you perfect. And I can't offer my family perfect. But I can tell you that I'm gonna seek to live out Long-haul devotion of righteousness, of devotion, of living in the spirit of Christ, of seeking the rescue and the healing of the people around me, and to worship night and day with prayer and fasting. That's, that's where I'm going to be. I want you to know that when you do that, God notices those kinds of lives, even if it seems like nobody else does. God notices those kinds of lives. I would also tell you, and I love this, years of faith led to key moments of insight. Did you notice the promise that had been given to Simeon? As promises go, this is a doozy. It had been promised to Simeon in the Holy Spirit that he would not taste death until he had seen the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah or Christ. Now, listen, there had been a lot of people that had been waiting a long time for the Messiah. In fact, it had been so long that some people had quit waiting and quit paying attention. But the Spirit of the Lord came to Simeon and said, It's in your lifetime. It's going to happen before you die. The Messiah is coming. And not only will the Messiah come inside of your lifetime. But your eyes will see the Messiah. It will be present. And he will be personal for you. How do you think that changes how you live? When you have that word in your heart. That you will live to see the day that you see the Lord's anointed. I think it will come up every single day. Is today the day? Is today the day that I'm going to see the anointed one of God? Is today the day that I'm going to see the Messiah, the Christ? Is today the day that I'm going to see that? I think it changed his point of view. I think that he knew as he went through life, he knew that God was at work. He knew that God was a promise keeper. And he knew that the future was good. Well, that's a fantastic way to live. And then what I want you to know is that because of those years of devotion and that sensitivity to the things of God, he saw things that other people did not see. Remember, this series of events happens in those same temple courts that we looked at in John chapter 2. You remember one of the main things that we emphasized in John chapter 2 is that here comes Jesus, Messiah. Here comes Jesus and his disciples. Here comes the Holy One. Here comes the one who's been performing signs and wonders. And nobody notices or pays attention. The whole temple is built around the the interior segments that says, this is the representation of the presence of God. And here comes God himself walks in and nobody in John chapter two recognizes. But in Luke two, Simeon somehow, some way knows that this eight day old infant that is being carried in by Mary and Joseph, that this is the Messiah. In fact, it tells us in the passage of scripture that all of a sudden, Simeon is holding the child and saying, God, you have fulfilled your promise to me today. How did he know that? Other than the years of his devotion, revealed it to him so that he could hear the Spirit of God speaking to him and say, this is the one. He recognized the presence of God, the Messiah, in an eight-day-old infant when no one else could even recognize it in the grown man, Jesus, with his disciples. Now, I also kind of wonder a little bit about Mary and Joseph, about this old man running across the temple and all of a sudden is holding their... Like, like, there's no place in the text He Can I hold your child? And all of a sudden, he is holding the infant. I, I kind of wonder about how some of that uh, unfolded and, and what's all of this enthusiasm about. But he knew and he could recognize that in Jesus as an eight day old infant. Anna didn't even have the benefit of the promise of God, God didn't tell her, You're going to see the Messiah. We don't even know how much Simeon and Anna knew each other or had spoken to each other. Maybe they they saw each other all the time. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But when Simeon has this moment holding this infant and says, Now I have seen the Lord's anointed, I have seen the Lord's Messiah, Anna recognizes that this is a moment. And she walks up and enjoins this same place because her heart is sensitive and her years of faith allowed her to recognize what matters. We talk about this every once in a while. One of my great fears, I think one of the great fears of many of us is that God is working around us in significant ways and our hearts and our minds and our spirit are so dull that we don't see the very miraculous signs that God is performing and speaking to us all the time. But it was these years of quiet devotion that had developed inside of them the ability to recognize the movement of God. I want to grow in my heart and my life so that when God stirs and when God moves, I can recognize it in that moment even in an eight-day-old infant. I will tell you that there's not 10 people in all of the Gospels that have the kind of sensitivity that Simeon and Anna display in these moments. It's amazing to me. I love Simeon and Anna. But I would also tell you that the sensitivity, their spiritual sensitivity became a blessing to the people around them. Spiritual sensitivity blesses those around us. Now, we are dealing with some tough seasons in life, aren't we? And sometimes we can kind of back up and we come to the end of the year and say, man, it has been a wild 12 months. Mary and Joseph would say, take a number. If you want to think about a wild 10 months, 12 months, 12 months ago they they're planning a wedding. 12 months ago they are planning out their future and maybe this has even been on the horizon for a couple of years and they know where they're going to live and they know what they're going to do and they know what the wedding is going to look like and they've got all of these plans. And all of a sudden an angel shows up to Mary, an angel shows up to Joseph. An announcement that says even as a virgin, Mary is already pregnant. She has to explain that to Joseph. Joseph has to hear what Mary says. Joseph has to hear what the angel says to him. All of the circumstances here cause Mary to move and kind of isolate herself and she goes to, to live with a, with a family member out of town. To make matters worse, there's now a census that in the late stages of her pregnancy, she needs to travel a great distance To register for this census in a place that maybe she's never been before or rarely been to before. When she arrives, not only is she in the late stages of pregnancy, she is in the last moments of her pregnancy. And as they seek to find a place for them to rest, a place for them to stay, there is not a single place that's available. And suddenly, surrounded by the animals there in the manger scene, Joseph helps her give birth while they were still trying to figure out all that that means these shepherds come to visit them and say man we heard about the one who was born to save the world they'd heard it before but for these strangers to come and they say well how do you know well this whole host of heavenly angels came and told us these things That's a lot. That'll make your head spin. They have eight more days after the shepherds go home. Eight days. Kind of had their own family leave time right there and then just, what do we do? What do we do with this child? What do we do with all the things that the angels have spoken to us? What what about all the things that the, the shepherds have spoken to us man, did we misunderstand something along the way? Is this really true? Are are we confused? What's going on? And then they walk into the temple to do these routine responses to the law of God. And up comes this old man that they've never met before, Simeon, and he says, this is the answer to the prayers of my lifetime. This is the one who is the hope of not just Israel, but the hope for all of the Gentiles. i got to tell you that Mary and Joseph needed those words something terribly in those moments. And so Simeon speaks truth to them. He confirms, he encourages them, he prepares them. Some of the things that they had to know is that This is going to be hard. This is the one who is the hope of the entire world. But he's also going to be responsible for the falling and the rising of many. And he's going to create opposition. And he has to speak the truth to Mary that she has to prepare in her own heart. That her own heart will be deeply wounded by what she sees unfold in her son's life. But these are the things that they needed to hear to be prepared, to be encouraged, to to be affirmed, to be prepared for what is next, to connect what was the simple things happening in their life to the larger work of God. And because Simeon was sensitive, not only did he experience those things for himself, but he came a blessing to Mary and Joseph. Now what I love about this is that this tells us that Simeon came and spoke these words to Mary and Joseph but what you see is what Anna does is that she walks away from this moment and she speaks those words to everyone else that she meets. Simeon ministers to Mary and Joseph. Anna ministers to the whole rest of the temple complex. But either way, your spiritual sensitivity your engagement in paying attention to the things of God will be a blessing to the people that are around you. They encouraged them, they prepared them, they reminded them. Now as we think about, as we think about what's next and we think about how to respond to this, I just want to encourage you, I want to go back to the idea of being a person of quiet devotion that not only pleases God but has this impact on the people around you. This world needs people who are committed to long haul faith. Will will you be one of those people that shows the world what a person devoted to Christ looks like? Our church needs people who will show in the flesh what it looks like to be a devoted follower of Christ your your family needs to see what a real live person committed to Christ looks like your workplace your friends your school your neighbors the strangers at Walmart and in traffic they need to see what a person committed for the long haul to Christ looks like will you be one of those people Will you live your life looking for ways in which you can encourage others? Just as Simeon encouraged Mary and Joseph and Anna encouraged the people from that place, oh, we live in a world who is parched for encouragement. Would you be a person who delivers encouragement on a weekly and maybe even daily basis. We said that the good news this morning is that God loves to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. But I would also tell you that the big good news is that Jesus has come to save the world. And if you've never responded to the fact that Jesus has come to save our lives and that the whole story of Christmas is God become flesh to dwell among us so that he becomes the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. If you've never responded to that, would you do that today? Would you take that moment of taking a first faith step and saying, I believe I receive. how I want God to fill the holes and the broken places in my life. And I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know him as my Savior. Man, Christmas Sunday would be a great day to say yes to Jesus.